Tonight's topic, Saved by Grace After All We Can Do, is a, a topic that I love, and I've been fascinated with it for a number of months now, and that is the topic of grace. There's a famous statement by Nephi, which all of us have heard, I'm sure, and that is this. Second Nephi 25, 23, we hear this phrase quite a bit, for we know that it is by grace that we are saved after all we can do. Does that sound familiar to you? Now, this is what often is quoted. However, we're going to explore a little bit more about the teachings of Nephi and what exactly he meant in regards to that statement, after all you can do, because that's pretty confusing for um, a lot of people, uh, not just Latter-day Saints, but quite a few people. Um, and so let me get the next scripture up here. All right, so what does it mean, after all you can do? So we have to ask ourselves, what does the Lord mean when he's speaking through Nephi? And he says that you can only have grace after all you're able to do, right? Here's how some people envision it in scenario one. Here's a person who may have the idea of, okay, all I can do means I need to get all of the single things that God has asked me to do or my, my church leaders or my conscience makes me do. I have to get the full checklist complete and work as hard as I can and get it, all of it done. And then I can go to the Lord and expect grace, right? That's scenario one. And so you see this family here, they're doing all the things right. They've been accepted of the Lord, according to this, this theory. Um, and they're going to go to heaven, right? So that's one way to look at this, that you are saved by grace after all you can do. If you crank through the to-do list and you're diligent in that, you can expect grace, right? Some people in the world believe that this is how it works. They work harder and harder and harder, hoping to achieve the grace that they're looking for. Now, what's the opposite of this? Here you have another scenario where you find somebody who feels as if they're not doing enough. And that's always pretty sad, right? They've got this to-do list in their mind, this checklist of all the things they need to do to be a righteous person. However, like all people, all fall short of the glory of God, according to Romans, book of Romans. So this is where most of us are. There's things that we, we know we should be doing or we think we know we should be doing. However, it's so overwhelming to do all of it that we just, we just work through life thinking that, that I don't have the grace of God or I can't be close to God because I'm falling short in these many areas. And so unfortunately, in the second scenario, that's equally destructive, meaning that there's people out there who use this mindset to believe that they cannot have God or cannot have a closeness with God or a spiritual rebirth with God or any of these things because they haven't done enough stuff yet. They're not working hard enough. And so we're going to dive into the scriptures and explore how both of these scenarios are erroneous. That's not even close to what Nephi is talking about when he says that phrase, for we know that it is by grace that we are saved after all we can do. Let's talk about the purpose of grace. So you remember Jesus Christ in the New Testament is explaining this concept that if you come unto me, and he invited all to come unto him. If you come unto me, all ye that, are lab that labor and are heavy laden, you know, people that have these tremendous amount of work to do on their to-do list. Come unto me, all ye that, are, that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, Jesus says. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest to your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, the ancient Jews had a problem with a lot of things on their to-do list, right? Latter-day Saints, Latter-day Gentiles in these days have the same thing. Many of the people out there trying to seek the Lord and get close to him are burdened by what they think are an endless list of commandments and to-dos and how to be worthy and how not to be. And it's just this complicated mess sometimes. Now, I'm speaking not to sound self-righteous here, but I'm speaking about this because I lived a large portion of my life with this mindset that if I can only do more, God can somehow find me and put me on the path and he can, it'll, it'll all be okay when he tallies up how much good I did compared to how much evil I did. You know, hopefully I can win there. So this debate between grace and works is old as time, probably. I remember on my mission, several people talking to me. I'd come up on doorsteps and, and 
people would say to me before they introduced themselves sometimes, you guys just believe you can work your way into heaven. And I remember thinking, what on earth, where are they getting this from? And looking back on it now, after studying this topic of grace, I can look back at them and say, you know what? I know exactly where they were coming for, from on this one. And why it may not have been 100% accurate for all of the Latter-day Saints, there is a large enough portion of Latter-day Saints, and I would say all, all religious people across the whole world, no matter what the denomination, that believe that if they can just be more righteous, then the Lord can somehow reach them um, in, their, in their faith and give them grace. So um, remember, the purpose of grace is to make our burden light for all those who labor and are heavy laden. The Lord will give us rest. So when we're talking about righteousness and active in the church and all these topics that get thrown around there, let's talk about for a minute how Jesus defines someone who is, quote unquote, active in his church. Right. DNC 10 verse 67. This is from April 1829 before the church was even established. This is what was revealed to Joseph Smith. DNC 10, 67 and 68. Behold, this is my doctrine. Whosoever repenteth and cometh unto me, the same is my church. Whosoever declares more or less than this, the same is not of me, but is against me. Therefore, he is not of my church. Okay, remember, I just talked about Jesus saying in the New Testament, all you that labor and are heavy laden, come unto me and take upon you my yoke, and I will give you rest. Those are they who come unto him and find grace. So those are the people that are in his church as well. The people that come unto him are his church. And remember this as we explore the next slide. Whosoever declares more or less than this, the same is not of me, but is against me. This is one example of how man might define active in the church, Right. How did all of this stuff get into the definition of his church? And how did all this stuff get into the way of us receiving grace from Christ? All of these are essentially works. And here you have an example of this is just out of the, the Utah LDS church, how they have, um, what, 16 or 17 different questions that you have to pass and you have to be doing these things in order to even have the chance at going to the temple to be able to connect with God and to make covenants with him and things like that. So, um, Here's one example of when man dictates what is required to be in God's church, Christ's church. You get long lists like this, and these can stress people out and overburden them, right? And here's a picture of one of the leaders of, of one of the churches holding up what's called the Church Handbook of Instruction that they said was created by inspiration, by the sweet spirit of inspiration. And this Church Handbook of Instruction has a lot more in it than what Jesus is telling us. You know, it's it's... It's way more than just repent and come unto me and belong to my church and I will give you rest. Okay, so this is the foundation we're laying to the concept of grace today. Okay, there is a parable taught in the New Testament where there's a parable of the Pharisee and the publican. And this is in Luke 18 of the King James Version that I'll show you, starting in verse 9. And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus within himself. Thus with himself. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican over here. I fast, I fast twice in the week, and I give tithes of all that I possess. Okay, so this is the first part of the parable. Let me go to the next verse. Verse 13. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then Jesus finishes the parable by saying, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For every one that exalts himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. So this man, by recognizing that he was a sinner, was in a better spot to be justified before the Lord. More so than the person who trusted 
that he was righteous because of all of the works that he had done. Now, in Doctrine and Covenants section 20, we talk about this idea of justification, right? Jesus is saying this publican in the parable was justified. DNC 20, 30 and 31, this is given in the summer of 1829, says, And we know that justification through the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is just and true. And we know also that sanctification through the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is just and true. To all those who love and serve God with all their mights, minds, and strength. Remember the first two commandments. So let's talk about the idea of can anybody really ever do all that they can do to receive the grace of Christ? In Luke 17, verses 9 and 10, we have another scripture talking about the servants. And this is the end of of him speaking um, about this. But the idea rings true. Doth he, meaning the, the master of the house, doth he thank the servant because he did the things which were commanded of him? I trow not. So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded of you, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. So here in Luke, it's talking about when you've done what's been asked of you by your master, the master doesn't thank you for doing your own duty, but we are supposed to say within ourselves, we are unprofitable servants because all we've done is done what we've been asked. No more. All right. Now let's go over to the Book of Mormon, where Mosiah, chapter 2, verse 21, this is King Benjamin speaking. He says the same thing about unprofitable servants. I say unto you that if you should serve him, God, who has created you from the beginning and is preserving you from day to day, lending you breath, that you may live and move and do according to your own will and even supporting you from one moment to another, I say... If you should serve him with all your whole souls, yet you would be unprofitable servants. So here's the idea, going back to what we showed earlier with the woman who had the full checklist. Everything was crossed off. She had been admitted to heaven in her own mind. Even in the most, So King Benjamin is saying here in Mosiah 2 that even if you were to do that perfectly and serve him with all your heart, might, mind, and soul, with all your whole souls, if you were to do that correctly, even if you could, which you can't, even if you could, you would still be unprofitable servants. So nobody needs to suppose that their amount of effort and works alone can get them to the point of being a profitable servant. Now, we have in our history some examples of people who did not have this mindset, right? Brigham Young is on record in 1864 of saying, I have never said that I am not a prophet, but if I am not, one thing is certain. I have been very profitable to this people. So Brigham Young thinks he was a profitable servant. King Benjamin says, no, don't you dare adopt that mindset of thinking that you're a profitable servant based on what you've done for yourself, for your God, or for your people. You can't work all of your lives even perfectly and still be a profitable servant. It's impossible. So here we go. Back to this. What do unprofitable servants look like? They look like these people that have done everything right in their own minds. They also look like the people who unfortunately don't have the wherewithal or the faith or the time in their schedules to get everything done in their minds they want to do. Both of these people are equally unprofitable servants. And that's a big key to our lesson tonight is understanding that both of these models of after all you can do or after half of what you can do or after a small fraction of what you could do, everybody is an unprofitable servant and everybody needs the grace of Jesus Christ to be saved. For we know that it is by grace that we are saved after all we can do. So we still have not answered the question of what does Nephi mean when he says, after all that we can do. It's not what you think. We're going to dive into that. Mosiah chapter 3, verse 12 in the Book of Mormon. King Benjamin still, he's teaching the people that salvation cometh to none. That means nobody, none. Salvation cometh to none except it be through repentance and faith on the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And in Mosiah 2, same thing, King Benjamin says, and now I ask, can you say aught of yourselves? I answer you, nay, which means no. You cannot say that you are even as much as the dust of the earth. Yet you were created of the dust of the earth, but behold, it belongs to him who created you. So he's totally tearing down the notion that, hey, you guys are nothing in and of yourselves. You need Jesus Christ, and man can only be saved through believing in Christ and having faith in him. And I'll remind you that King Benjamin had great success in bringing about the spiritual rebirth of his people, which was a Christian nation. They received the baptism of fire and the Holy Ghost and were spiritually reborn following his advice here, which was to humble yourselves, stop thinking you can do it by yourself, and then rely on the grace of the Lord. Here's another one in Jacob chapter 4 in the Book of Mormon. Verse 7, Jacob is saying, Nevertheless, the Lord God showeth unto us our weakness, that we may know, why does he show us the weakness? That we may know that it is by his grace and his great condescensions unto the children of men that we have power to do these things. And he's referring specifically to miracles, right? It's not him doing them, it's God. And so the lesson of grace follows this suit. God shows people their weaknesses that they might know and finally understand that they themselves are weak and that he has all power. And they'll know at that point when they understand that lesson, that it is by grace of Christ that you can do all things that are good. And in Ether chapter 12, verse 26 through 28, we have Moroni telling the same thing. And when I had said this, the Lord spake unto me, saying, Fools mock, but they shall mourn. And my grace is sufficient for the meek. Does he say you need anything more than grace in this scripture? What does sufficient mean? It means good enough. That's all you need. And my grace is sufficient for the meek, that they shall take no advantage of your weakness. And if men come unto me, I will show unto them their weakness. And I give unto men weakness that they may be humble. Remember what Jacob said? We learn our weaknesses from God. He shows them to us so that we can learn. It's by grace. All right. So if men come unto me, I will show unto them their weakness. I give unto men weakness that they may be humble. And my grace is sufficient. There it is again. Sufficient for all men that humble themselves before me. For if they humble themselves before me and have faith in me, then will I make weak things become strong unto them. Behold, I will show unto the Gentiles their weakness. Who are we? In the last days, we are the Gentile nations, largely. And I will show unto them that faith, hope, and charity bringeth unto me the fountain of all righteousness. Okay, so the Gentiles, the Lord is, Moroni is saying that in the last days, the Gentiles are going to understand their weakness. The Lord is going to show them their folly. He's going to show them their weakness. Why? So that they can humble themselves and learn that God's grace is sufficient for them if they humble themselves. Okay? You can't skip humility, though. You can't skip meekness. That first verse there, my grace is sufficient for the meek. The next verse, my grace is sufficient for all men that humble themselves before me. Okay? So if you are seeking the grace of Christ, all you can do, we're starting to zero in on it. What is the only thing that people can do? God cannot and will not make you choose to humble yourselves. And he will not make you, force you into being a meek person. We have to take the initiative by believing, by having faith in Christ, to take the step forward to come unto him. Only when we do that can grace be given to us as the marvelous gift that it is. These are not about to-do lists. This is about us becoming humble, becoming meek. It's not about doing things. It's about becoming. Keep that in mind. This is out of the Book of Mormon as well. 2 Nephi 25, 23. This is Nephi scratching into these gold plates, or these brass plates or whatever. For we labor diligently to write. So here's Nephi laboring diligently. Does that mean he's trying to earn his way into heaven by laboring diligently? We'll see, right? He's laboring diligently. He's doing some works. But why? 
Why is he doing them? Is it to get into heaven or is it to save himself? No, he's saying, for we labor diligently to write, to persuade our children and also our brethren to believe in Christ and to be reconciled to God. Those two things. For we know that it is by grace that we are saved after all we can do. So he's asking you to do two things there. Believe in Christ and be reconciled to God. Those two things he's asking you to do to qualify so that after you do those things, you can be saved by grace. So he's not giving you a lengthy 10,000 page list of commandments and to do's and principles and how many steps you can walk on the Sabbath and all this other garbage. He's not doing that. He's asking you to do two things which are in your control, not God's. You are in charge of your belief in Christ, not him. He's not going to come down and prove it to you with miraculous signs and stuff if you're not going to believe, right? Signs and miracles follow those that believe. And so there we have belief in Christ, one, reconciled to God. So let's talk about what reconciliation means. But before we do, let's jump into one more reference where Mosiah, in Mosiah 3, King Benjamin is explaining this very principle. Verse 12 of chapter 3 in Mosiah. For salvation cometh to none such, except it be through one, repentance, which is reconciliation, coming unto him, and two, faith on the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's not listing a huge laundry list of things you got to do as well. It's pretty simple. You know, if you want salvation, you better come unto Christ, repent, and have faith on the Lord. And that's the only way you can do it. Okay, let's talk about the word reconciliation. What does that even mean, to be reconciled, right? This is out of the 1828 dictionary, just because that's the closest to when the Book of Mormon and the Doctrine and Covenants was published that we just read from. Um, Okay, here's what it says. Latin, reconcilio, re and concilio. Con and calo. To call. In the Greek, the literal sense is to call back into union. That's what reconcile means, to call back into union. And what does it mean if you've fallen away from union? That means you're fallen and you're trying to atone and get back to union. Definition one, to to conciliate anew, to call back into union and friendship the affections which have been alienated. To restore to friendship or favor after estrangement. As to reconcile men or parties that have been at variance. To bring to acquiescence, content, or quiet submission. With two, as to reconcile oneself to afflictions. To make consistent or congruous. To bring to agreement or suitableness. To adjust, to settle think, be still, as to reconcile differences or quarrels. So what comes to mind when you hear about this definition of reconcile? When Nephi says, only after you believe in Christ and are reconciled unto God, then you can have grace and you be saved by grace. Reconciliation is the concept of atonement. Here you have the Lord and you have us and we're estranged. We've parted ways. Fallen man has separated themselves from their God, right? And so here, the idea of reconciliation is to come back together and to make at one, to call back into union. Union is one, to unify, right? The word reconcile has everything to do with the atonement and nothing else. It's to atone with the Lord. Lord, that's what has to happen for the grace of God to be with us, is we have to seek to be one with God again, and to reconcile ourselves with his will. Same guy, Nephi. He's the one that wrote that last scripture we saw, right? That for we know that it is by that men are saved by grace after all that we can do. He also said earlier in that book, in verse 24 of chapter 10, wherefore, my beloved brethren, here it is again, reconcile yourselves. It's your job. You do it. Reconcile yourselves. God's not going to do it for you. Reconcile yourselves to the will of God and not to the will of the devil and the flesh. And remember, after, here it is, after, right? After you are reconciled unto God, that it is only in and through the grace of God that you are saved. 
Pop quiz. Are we saved by grace? Yes, absolutely we are. The scriptures are very clear about that. However, we are not saved by grace until after we ourselves choose to believe in God and to reconcile ourselves to the will of God. Then the grace of Christ can come in and make weak things become strong unto us. It's through his power, though, not our own. But we have to initiate choosing to come unto God and starting that first step of reconciliation. So, and honestly, you can spin your wheels all day long on the hamster wheel of dead works. You know, you can go to any religious building out there and spend half your days doing all this work. It's not going to mean a thing until you yourselves are reconciled to the will of God and believe in him and his ability to save you. A lot of of Nephites tonight, you know, he's the one that was guilty of that first quote. We believe that, you know, we are saved after all that we can do. So we're going to use Nephi quite a bit. Back to Nephi's statement. Let's explore this. It is by grace that we're saved after all we can do. So 2 Nephi 31 verse 19 in the Book of Mormon says, And now, my beloved brethren, after you have gotten into the straight and narrow path, I would ask if all is done. Behold, I say unto you, Nay, for you have not come thus far, save it were by the word of Christ. So don't brag about how far you've come. Don't brag about how awesome you are. You haven't done anything except it were for the words of Christ that told you what to do. And remember, we, we read earlier in Luke 17, after you've done what your servant, after the servant's done what the master has asked of them, you don't deserve a thanks. You're an unprofitable servant. Even if you do everything perfectly, you're nothing. You're unprofitable. So don't let that get to your head. Nephi's reminding you, hey, behold, after you've come on this path, say you've, you're on the path now, you've been spiritually reborn, you're, you're pretty awesome, you've had good experiences. No, you can have not come thus far, save it were by the word of Christ, with unshaken faith in him. Relying on who? Relying wholly upon the merits of him who is mighty to save. So maybe there's a hint in here that you don't even get through the gate to the straight and narrow path until you get this lesson through your heads. Guys, we have to rely wholly upon the merits of him who's mighty to save, Jesus Christ. And this little group, we call ourselves the doctrine of Christ because nothing else really matters. What Christ taught is what goes. What man says doesn't matter. Jesus is teaching us, even through the prophets sometimes, that it is entirely through faith in Christ and through his grace that you can become saved, right? Back to Jacob, right? Um, He spent a lot of time with Nephi. They studied together. Nephi taught him a lot of things. Jacob chapter 4 in the Book of Mormon. What does reconciled to God mean? Wherefore, beloved brethren, be reconciled. There's that word again. Be reconciled unto him through the atonement of Christ. We said reconciliation is the atonement, right? Jacob's bringing it all together here. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, be reconciled to him through the atonement of Christ, his only begotten son. And ye may obtain a resurrection according to the power of the resurrection, which is in Christ. So even if all are eventually resurrected, whose power resurrected you? Christ's. And be presented as the first fruits of Christ unto God. Be presented. Not present yourself, be presented. Christ is going to present you to the Father or to God as the first fruits of Christ, those that are resurrected in the morning of the first resurrection. Okay, back to the scripture. Having faith and obtained a good hope of glory in him before he manifest himself in the flesh. Are you guys starting to see the pattern here? So grace is very, very heavily tied to the concept of reconciliation. Now, this is interesting because Jesus is saying, before you come unto me, there's a prerequisite of sorts. And it's that dang R word again. He wants us to learn how to reconcile ourselves, not only to us, but to others. Listen to this. Those who prefer the Bible, this one's for you. Matthew 5, 23 to 24 says in the King James Version, Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, Leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. Book of Mormon, similar thing. When Jesus Christ went to the Americas and taught the Sermon on the Mount, he taught them this version of it. Similar, a little bit different. Third Nephi 12, 23 to 24 says, Therefore, if you shall come unto me, listen to this. If, you, if, if this is you guys, listen up. 
If you shall come unto me or shall desire to come unto me, raise your hand if that's your desire. I'd like to listen up. And rememberst that thy brother hath ought against thee. Go thy way unto thy brother and first be reconciled unto thy brother. And then come unto me with full purpose of heart and I will receive you. The concept of reconciliation is very important. Not just us to God, but us to others. We have to be willing to forgive, right? And offer mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. We have to offer that same reconciliation and mercy to others that we expect from God. So let's talk about Paul in 2 Corinthians. This is a pretty cool scripture that I love. He refers to something called the ministry of reconciliation. Now listen very carefully as we go through this. Paul understands this concept really well. Um, how, how much, before we read this, let's ask ourselves, how much did Paul deserve to be visited by the heavenly being on the road and to be set straight? Was it his works that was leading to him being received in grace and, and transformed? No, it wasn't. So he understands this, I think, really, really well. And he harps on it. He teaches it. And those people who tend to have experiences with the mighty grace of God, they can't explain it. They understand the magic of it. And they understand that this is what makes the entire atonement work, is this concept. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul is talking about this concept. Verses 17 through 21, this is from the King James Version. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things that are of God, and all things are of God, excuse me, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. And hath given unto us the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation is what Christ has given to the servants, including Paul here. To wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. And hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. Jesus knew no sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him, only in him, right? So this ministry that Paul is out teaching people and writing epistles to people, right? He's out teaching what he calls the ministry of reconciliation. Back to Nephi's statement. So let's visit it one last time. For we labor diligently to write, to persuade our children and also our brethren to believe in Christ and to be reconciled to God. For we know that it is by grace that we are saved after all we can do. And what is it? The only things we can do, believe in Christ and reconcile ourselves to the will of God. That's when grace comes in. So that, I strongly believe through my study, is that is what he's talking about when he says, after all we can do. Because we've learned from other scriptures, there's not jack crap we can do in and of ourselves. Can we say out of ourselves? King Benjamin says, nah, we can't. But... After all we can do, and he lists the things we can do, believe in him and be reconciled to God, then it is by grace that we are saved after all we can do. And that's the theme of tonight, this topic. Maybe I'm beating it too hard, but I want you guys to remember this in the years ahead. When someone asks you, what do we need to do to be saved by grace? I hope that every person out there can answer this question accurately, according to the scriptures. Jacob chapter one, we're talking about the purpose of our labor. Remember, Nephi was saying in that last slide, for we labor diligently. Paul was saying we have the ministry of reconciliation. Did he work his tail off? Did Paul did a, do a lot of wonderful works? Absolutely. He taught, he preached, he, he wrote scriptures, and he traveled all over the, the place um, to get people to understand this concept of grace, Right. Jacob in the Book of Mormon, chapter 1, verse 19. And we, he's talking about his ministry or his labor. Ready? 
Jacob says, and we did magnify our office unto the Lord, taking upon us the responsibility, answering the sins of the people upon our own heads, if we did not teach them the word of God with all diligence. Wherefore, by laboring with our might, their blood might not come upon our garments. Otherwise, their blood would come upon our garments and we would not be found spotless at the last day. Jacob here is not saying that we are out teaching people to earn our way into heaven. He's saying our office has come and our duty is to teach people about Jesus Christ because Christ has touched our lives and we have experienced his grace. Therefore, we go out and we teach this concept to others with all of our might, not to earn our way into heaven, but because we love the Lord and we want to share that blessing of his grace with others, right? Jacob understood this. Nephi understood this. Both of them magnified their office. They labored diligently. Even Paul worked his tail off after he had experienced the grace of Christ, not to earn brownie points, but because he became a new creature in Christ and new creatures in Christ, right? Let your light show so shine that men may see your good works and glorify who? Your father, which is in heaven. It's about glorifying God when these guys who have been affected by the grace of Christ go out and teach people diligently. Now, if we're wondering, okay, what should I be doing with this information? Say, for example, I have a a spiritual rebirth and I connect with God and I'm reconciled to him. I receive forgiveness for my sins. What do we do now? Do we go back to that really long checklist we showed at the beginning and start chipping away, you know, baking cookies for our neighbors and babysitting for free and going to church eight times a week and going to the temple and doing work for the dead or all these other weird things, right? Do we take on five callings and call that our efforts to be reconciled to God? No, we start teaching other people. The ministry is that we teach other people the doctrine of Christ. That's what Nephi spent his days doing. That's what Jacob here spent his days doing, as did Paul. All right. Let's talk back about what we mentioned at the very beginning, which was Christ's yoke. Remember, my yoke is easy, he said, and my burden is light. Let's read Matthew 11 again, verses 28, and 20, 28, 29, and 30. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Jesus is saying his burden's light. Take his yoke upon you. Put it on. He's, he's got the strength and the power to be able to help you through these things. And so if you're coming into Christ and you're becoming a disciple and you're learning of him and, you, and your week gets 10 times busier with doing a bunch of stuff that stresses you out and burdens you, you're doing it wrong, I believe. You know? And so... Here we have a a famous story out of the New Testament where Jesus is trying to illustrate this principle of, hey, we got to focus on the things that actually matter and stop being on the hamster wheel of endless toil and works and burning ourselves out. Right. Luke 10, 38 through 42. This is the story of Mary and Martha. Many of you are familiar with it. Probably all. Now, it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village. He, Jesus entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also, which also sat at Jesus's feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving. She's getting stressed here. And it came and came to him, Jesus and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Bid her tell her, Therefore, that she might help me. Let me read that again. Bid her, therefore, that she help me. <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm doing all the work here, Lord. I'm serving all the food. Can you tell your, your, you know, my sister over here to come help me? And Jesus's answer is, is precious. Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. But one thing is needful. And Mary has chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. We should remember, as we're seeking to come into Christ, that it's not about the endless toil. 
It's about sitting at his feet and letting Christ answer our prayers. It's about communing with him, praying to him, learning of his word in the scriptures, right? Sitting at the foot of Jesus is a much better use of our time than would be running around with that endless checklist of to-do stuff without being able to do that. So Jesus, he didn't say that what you know Martha was doing was bad. He just said that Mary chose the better part. It's better. <laughs> it's better to come unto Christ with full purpose of heart and learn of him. Remember, he said, take upon, take upon you my yoke, something like that, right? Learn of me, for I am me. He's saying, learn of me. This is exactly what Mary is doing. She's learning of Christ, sitting at Jesus' feet and heard his word. So we need less Martha, more Mary, I believe. Okay, here we go. There's that scripture again. After all we can do, right? there it is again, bringing it back together, back to what Nephi was really talking about. My beloved brethren, reconcile yourselves to the will of God and not to the will of the devil and the flesh. And remember, after you are reconciled unto God, that it is only in and through the grace of God that you are saved. So remember that only through grace. We beat that a hundred times in this presentation, right? It is only through grace that you're saved. However, that's only after you've managed to reconcile yourself to the will of God. And you come unto Christ and you align yourself with his will the best you can. And that is what's going to lead to this. What about falling from grace? Is grace permanent? What if you received grace at some point in your life? Long time ago. Are you still good to go? Or is it something onwardly we have to be seeking after is the grace of Christ and continuing to strengthen our belief in him, continuing to reconcile ourselves to him because the minute we depart and we sin or we separate ourselves from the will of God, we have to always be reconciling ourselves through the atonement back to him. And that's the gift of repentance that he gives to those who follow him. DNC 20, 32 and 33 says, but there is a possibility, so it's possible, there's a possibility that man may fall from grace and depart from the living God. You better believe it. Therefore, let the church take heed and pray always lest they fall into temptation, right? You remember Jesus's prayer, the example prayer that he gave in the New Testament, you know, deliver us from evil. Um, Even he was praying, you know, and and modeling that that's how we should be thinking about our prayers with the Lord. Take heed and pray always, lest you fall into temptation. Okay. This might be the last slide. So Nephi, 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 right? We've, We've gone over a lot of stuff that he's been teaching, but In the last chapter that Nephi wrote, listen to this. In chapter 33, verses 9 and 10. This is a very powerful message for us who are in the last days, latter days that he's talking about, the Gentiles. This is a message for us. Starting in verse 9 of chapter 33 of 2 Nephi. I also have charity for the Gentiles. That's us for the most part. But behold, for none of these, the Gentiles, for none of them can I have hope except they shall be reconciled unto Christ. He has no hope in you unless you take his message seriously, that you need to reconcile yourself to Christ and believe in him. And then the grace of God can offer you salvation if you're faithful. For none of these can I hope except they shall be reconciled unto Christ and enter into the narrow gate and walk in the straight path, which leads to eternal life and continue in the path until the end of the days of probation. And now, my beloved brethren, and also Jew, and all ye ends of the earth, hearken unto these words and believe in Christ. And if ye believe not in these words, believe in Christ. And if ye shall believe in Christ, you will believe in these words, for they are the words of Christ. And he, Christ, hath given them unto me. Folks, This is a super important lesson, I believe, because we live in a day and age where a lot of us are are trying to figure out how to come into Christ and how to get fruit and how to have experiences with him. Um, And we have to remember these core elements of, of what the gospel is being taught by Nephi and Paul and Jacob and a bunch of others, which is, look, simplify it. Jesus is begging us, take my yoke upon you. It's easy. My burden's light. 
If you're burned out and you're stressed out doing all of this stuff and trying to work your way into heaven with these to-do lists, please stop. Call upon the Lord and reconcile yourself to his will. Ask him to deliver you. Ask him to take upon him the yoke. Ask if you can take share a yoke with him, right? And his grace is sufficient. It is enough. And he's willing to give it to those who humble themselves, are meek, who come unto him, who believe in him. It's really much, much simpler than we think. When we ask ourselves, how is it that we get saved? It is through the grace of Christ, as we've talked about in this lesson. So I want to testify that I have felt the grace of Christ in my life. He has rescued me a number of times from my own stupidity and my own thinking that I'm hot stuff and my own to-do lists and checklists. And, and when I've been decades of my life in that mentality of, you know what, here's how I get more righteous is I start doing more stuff. I burden myself more. I go out and do more things. But now I realize that we don't teach the doctrine of Christ with all diligence to earn our way into heaven. We do it because we know how good the grace of Christ is and how good it tastes to partake of a small measure of his love and his forgiveness of sins that he can offer to all of us. And that is the reason why all of us should be laboring to teach the doctrine of Christ and the word of Christ and to take an active part in what Paul calls the ministry of reconciliation, which is you take people who are estranged from God and you bring them back into union through the atonement of Jesus Christ. And that's my testimony in the name of Jesus Christ, our master. Amen.
and hast thou not known of these things which are come to pass there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came, saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even so as the women had said, but him they saw not. Then he said unto them, O fools, or unwise, in the Greek, how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to have entered and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them all the scriptures and things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village whither they went, and he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass that as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and brake and gave it to them. And this is also on Sunday that he is blessing and passing the sacrament. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us, while he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven gathered together, and them that were with them, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and hath appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way and how he was known of them in breaking of the bread. In verse 36, And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, Why are ye troubled? And why do thoughts arise in your hearts? or doubts, or hesitations. Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I of myself. Handle me, and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed him them his hands and his feet. And while they yet believed not for joy, and wondered or marveled, he said unto them, Have ye here any meat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and of honeycomb. And he took it and did eat before them. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures and said unto them, Thus it is written and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. Well, this endowment or endowment of power from on high was the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, which was to occur on the day of Pentecost. And it's interesting that Joseph Smith used the exact same terminology in referring to the endowment that the high priests and elders and ultimately all the people were to receive in the Kirtland Temple for that endowment of power before the elders and high priests were to be sent out was the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. But most of those during uh, 
Joseph Smith's ministry did not receive it, but the 12 apostles did receive it on the day of Pentecost as they were gathered together. And behold, I send the promise of my father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as to Bethany and lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass that while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. Now, if we go to Acts chapter 7. Or, pardon me, Acts chapter 20, verse 7. Again, and upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, which was Sunday, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued in speech until midnight. Now, to conclude, let's go to DNC 59, verses 7 through 19. Thou shalt thank the Lord thy God in all things. Thou shalt offer a sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in righteousness, even that of a broken heart and contrite spirit, that thou mayest more fully keep thyself unspotted from the world. Thou shalt go to the house of prayer and offer up thy sacraments upon my holy day. For verily, this is a day appointed unto you to rest from your labors and to pay thy devotions to the Most High. Nevertheless, thy vows shall be offered up in righteousness on all days and at all times. But remember that on this, the Lord's day, Sunday, the day of the resurrection and of the Pentecost, thou shalt offer thine oblations and thy sacraments unto the Most High, confessing thy sins unto thy brethren and before the Lord. And on this day thou shalt do none other thing, only let thy food be prepared with singleness of heart, that thy fasting may be perfect, or in other words, that thy joy may be full. Verily, this is fasting and prayer, or in other words, rejoicing and prayer. And inasmuch as ye do these things with thanksgiving, with cheerful hearts and countenances, not with much laughter, for this is sin, but with a glad heart and a cheerful countenance. Verily I say, that inasmuch as ye do this, the fullness of the earth is yours, and beasts of the field and fowls of the air, and that which climbeth upon the tree and walketh upon the earth. Yea, and the herb and the good things which come of the earth, whether for food or for raiment, or for houses or for barns, or for orchards or for gardens or for vineyards, and all thing which, things which come from the earth in the season thereof are made for the benefit and use of man, both to please the eye and to gladden the heart. Yea, for food and for raiment, for taste and for smell, to strengthen the body and to enliven the soul. Meaning, both that which comes from the earth, which grows in it, and also animals. And so, we have in modern revelation, the commandment that that day which is to be set apart um, as holy and separate from the other six days and which we are to come together and take the sacrament and worship God is Sunday. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.